You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 9, grab your Bible, grab a, your iPhone, your tablet, whatever you've got. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to be a Bible in the, in the chair in front of you. Make sure you get a copy of God's Word in your hand as we jump into it this morning. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Starting in verse 35. And it says this, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, one of the things we're going to see this morning in this text today, and in Matthew's text here, is this, this beautiful picture of how God feels about our world. And so as we talk about what does it look like to live in a broken world, it's great to hear God's heart for our broken world. God's heart for, for a world that is, that is broken by sin and, and struggles and, and pain. And, and we get a picture of God's heart here. And as, as a, a church, my hope is this, that we would have the same heart we see here in this text. And in, a church, in our church, we, we like to kind of lay out, this is what our church is all about with this kind of graphic here where we have four pillars on a foundation of Jesus Christ. And so you see here, our foundation of our church is Jesus. And so, so what you're going to see here in this passage is Jesus' heart for the lost, for the broken, for our world that's messed up. And so we want to start there with everything, that Jesus is our foundation. It's all about Jesus. And then on that, we want to be a church that's, that's, a church that's in the Word. That this is where our, our authority comes from. And so we're going to be a church that studies the word. We're going to be a church that gathers and worship to lift up high the name of Jesus. We're going to be a church that's all about prayer because we know we can't do anything apart from God being at work. And then this last pillar here is this pillar of mission. We want to have the heart of Jesus as we go out on mission as a church. Now, the whole thing covered in this, this roof of community, we do this together. We don't do it alone. There's no lone rangers in the church, but God's called us together as a body. What I want us to see is that when you have the heart of Jesus Christ as your foundation, as the foundation of our church, it should move our hearts to mission. As we jump in the text today, Jesus has been, he's been healing and and teaching. He's been been running headfirst into this broken world. He's been interacting with those who are hurting and lost, those who are skeptics, those who are opposing him. We come to verse 35, and it just sums up all that's happened up till this verse. So we got a bit of a summary, so we're caught up. And it says, and Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. But then it goes to verse 35. So that sums up everything he's been doing. And then, then verse 36 says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We see God's heart on display here. I mean, how did Jesus respond when he looked and saw the broken world around him? Jesus had, it says, compassion. 
And, and you, you can preach and you can teach. You can have your theology all figured out. But, but we need to know that, that Jesus touched people where they hurt, that, that he was compassionate and caring and, and loving. I mean, that's the heart of Christ. And so if you're a Christ follower, listen, that's our heart too. I think it's why Paul says this. He says, you, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, you're just a, a loud noise. And my hope today, my, my whole reason for preaching this text today is this. It's that we would see Jesus in all his power and authority, and we'd see his deep compassion. Why? So that we'd be willing to do what he's going to call us to at the end of this text. That, that his total authority and power is on display. He says he healed every disease and every affliction. And then we read that Jesus sees the crowds, and he's moved with compassion. What does that mean for us today? As we see the broken world around us. Now to understand what's going on here and what Jesus is feeling in this moment, you have to understand this phrase, he had compassion. In the original language of the New Testament was written, and in Greek, that phrase, it's actually one word. It's this funny word, all right? It's splachnismai, okay, splachnismai. That, that's the word in Greek. I'm just showing off a little bit. I looked it up. I didn't know the word, right? But the, it, And here's why I'm saying that word, because it has so much deeper meaning than what we, can, what we would commonly think of as compassion. There are a couple different words that Matthew could have chose here to denote compassion in the Greek. There are different words for compassion. And one of them, it's a word, it's a compassion you would have when, when you see something uncomfortable or awkward or embarrassing and you've got compassion for that person. My wife is filled with this kind of compassion. And we were in an airport and um, just a while ago, like years ago, Libby was pregnant with McKinley. And the, the super nice lady we're sitting next to turns to Libby and says, hey, hey, how many weeks along are you? And so I, being an idiot, turned to her and go, what do you mean? Okay, so, so right away, her face is like, oh, no, what did I do, right? She's like, oh, oh, and she's looking at Libby. I'm so sorry. I just thought, and, and so I start laughing. I'm like, no, no, she is pregnant. It's okay. So Libby hits me. The lady hits me. And, and Libby's filled with this compassion, right, compassion for how awkward and embarrassed this woman was. That's one kind of compassion, all right? That's not the compassion, the word used here, though. Matthew chose this word, splachnizomai, because it's, it's hugely more powerful word. It, it's, it's more powerful than that kind of compassion. It's, it's this, it literally means that you're moved to the inner being, the lower depths of your bowels is what it says. Like it's a, it's a punch in the gut kind of compassion. That's what Jesus felt. When he saw these people, he was moved to the deepest place of who he was. Maybe you felt that kind of compassion before. It's that feeling you get when, when you see a picture of a child who has been caught up in sex trafficking and, and, and you know that their innocence has been stolen, their soul has been traumatized, and you're filled to the deepest level. You, you feel an anger against those people who would have done that. You, you feel an anger against a, a porn industry that would fuel something like that, and, and tears well up, and your stomach aches because you want to rescue and care for that kid, to love them. That's the kind of compassion, that punch in the gut. That's the word Matthew chooses to use for Jesus in this moment. When he saw the suffering of everyday people like you and me, this is what Jesus felt. Now, that, that same word, that same word, splachnizomai, it's, it's used about 10 times in the Gospels as, as it talks about Jesus being deeply moved with this kind of compassion. You see it all through the New Testament in the Gospels. You, you see Jesus moved by people's pain and suffering. 
When Jesus would hear that, that people are sick and blind or, or attacked and harassed by demons, he didn't just feel bad about it. He was moved to compassion, Scripture says, and he healed them. Jesus was moved to this deep level of compassion by people's sorrow. There's a story in Luke chapter 7 where there's a widow whose son had died, and she's in the funeral procession following the casket of her son. Now, she's a widow. She's already lost her husband. Now she loses her son. No one to take care of her. And it says in Luke 7, 13, that when Jesus saw her, he was moved to compassion. It's interesting that when Jesus, whenever he encounters death and the impact it has on people, Jesus doesn't just just fold his arms and say, well, this is what you get for your sin. Y'all started this in the garden when you choose not to, to worship me. Instead, try to go your own way. I mean, this is on you. He could have said something prophetic in that moment, but no, what he does, he sees the impact of sin and death and suffering, and he's moved to this gut-wrenching level of compassion for those who are feeling it. Yeah, compassion. We see elsewhere the same word being used where Jesus has that kind of compassion for people's physical needs. Like, like just everyday physical needs move Jesus to deep compassion. In Matthew 15, you know the story when, when there's this group of people following Jesus and he's teaching. They're, they're so caught up in the teaching, they just follow him for days, and it's, it's about three days in. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, I've got compassion, right? Spagnizomai, I've got this deep ache compassion. He says, I have compassion for the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away lest they faint on the way. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would feel that bad about people who haven't had a bite to eat for a few days. Maybe the lesser Greek word would fit for where I would be, but Jesus deeply moved. Deeply moved by things that sometimes just moderately move us. I mean, I love that about Jesus. You see elsewhere the same word being used where Jesus was was moved to compassion by people's loneliness. In Mark chapter 1, there was a guy who had leprosy who came up to Jesus. Now, now, if you had leprosy in first century Israel, everybody back in the day thought it was super contagious. And so, so not only was it physically horrible to have this disease, you were a complete outcast. If you had leprosy and you were walking into town and you saw people, you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, and people would just part and stay away. They don't want you to touch them. This guy walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, if you're willing, you can heal me. He actually says, you can make me clean. What's that mean? You can bring me back into the community. And it says, Jesus was moved to compassion. He sees this guy's loneliness and isolation, and he heals him. Another great example. This one's such good news. Jesus is moved by this deep compassion for the suffering of sin. In fact, you you see that same word used in Luke chapter 15 in the story, the parable of the prodigal son. You know that story where where the son comes up to the dad and he he says, and remember the the father in the story represents God, represents God our father. and, And the son says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. Basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I I don't want you. I just want the stuff you can provide for me. And the father, for whatever reason, gives the inheritance to the son. The son takes the inheritance, it says it goes off into a faraway land, and he squanders it all on parties and prostitutes. Ends up homeless, living in a pigsty. 
And, and it says he finally comes to his senses and he thinks this. There's no way my father would ever take me back to be his son, but I need to go home. Maybe, just maybe, he'll have me as a servant. So he gets up, starts the long journey home, and it says in Luke 15, 20, right? As this kid, the kid who said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. And then he spends all of his inheritance on prostitutes. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. This kid, deep in sin. Listen to the father's response in Luke 15, 20. It says this, and he arose, and, and this is the kid, arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, splachnizomite, felt that deep compassion, and he ran and embraced and kissed him. Think about when you fall into sin. Think about when you pursue choices, when you pursue to go after sin, and, and you get to that place of you're so done with it, and, and you just want to turn back to God. And what do you think about God in that moment? Is he angry at you? Is he fed up with you? Is he, is he like, yeah, I know I say I have to love you, but I'm just going to tolerate you? Or do you think about God the way Jesus says we ought to think about God? That when he sees us take these small steps towards him in that moment, that listen, he never stopped looking for you. He always had his eyes on you. He was always longing for you to come home. But why? Because you're his daughter, because you're his son. And so when you turn in repentance, he takes off in a dead sprint towards you to wrap his arms around you, to hug you, to kiss you, to put a ring on your finger, a robe on your back, and to throw you a party. That's how God views you. That's, that's our God of compassion. That's the best news of my life. And so we can rest in this biblical truth about who Jesus is, that when Jesus saw sickness, when Jesus saw pain, when he saw loneliness, when he saw suffering, when he saw sin, he didn't dismiss it. He didn't just tolerate it. He didn't just shrug it off. He didn't disdain it. He was emotionally and physically deeply moved with compassion. You've probably heard me say this before, and I have a friend who once asked me, actually told me, he said, I I think Christianity is just a crutch for weak people who can't help themselves. And you know what? The older I get, the more I realize I'm a lot more messed up than I ever thought I was. Like, like I look at myself as a 20-year-old, I'm like, man, I thought I had things going on when I was 20. Right? As a young guy, you know what you do? You kind of compare your sin to other people's sin. You go, I'm actually not too bad. I remember reading in 1 Timothy 1.15 where Paul calls himself the chief of sinners and thinking, really, Paul? How would you call yourself that? Like, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. I don't know if I would, when I was a young guy, I would never say I'm the chief, I'm the worst of sinners. But, but man, the older I get, I know the ways I've sinned. How I've failed people, how I've hurt people how I haven't lived up to the call of Christ in my life. I I know the sins where I thought, man, I thought by now I would have been sanctified to the place where that isn't a struggle anymore, and yet those sins continue to press in on my life. So now when I hear Paul say, I'm the worst of sinners, I'm like, man, I can relate to that, Paul. And so when my friend says to me, I think Jesus is just a crutch, I said, no way he's not a crutch. You're making it sound like I've got the strength to add to this thing. He's not a crutch. He's a stretcher. I've got nothing. I need Jesus for my whole life. And the longer I live, the more absolutely convinced I am that I don't have the power to heal my own brokenness. And I've tried. It doesn't work. 
Listen, we're in need of a savior. We're in need of a healer. And so when I hear God's word say that there's a God in heaven who loves me so much that he showed up in the flesh and he lived a perfect life, he died in my place, he rose again to bring victory over sin and death. And then when Jesus now sees me in need, when he sees me in trouble, when he sees me in pain and sorrow, when he sees me in my sin, that it profoundly and deeply moves him to compassion for me. Church, this is the best news ever. Amen. It's awkward when only one claps. You should join in. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> all of this leads us back to Matthew chapter 9. I, I give you all of that background of what the scripture is going to call us to something as Christians. Why? Because I know this. I can't convince you. I can't give you the passion to live out what Christ is going to call us to. It's going to be a move of God in your heart. It's going to be, listen, a move of God in our church. Here we see Jesus move to compassion. What's his compassion here? By people who are without the good news of the gospel. He sees this crowd without the good news of the gospel, and he's moved to compassion. Splachnizomai. It says he sees the crowds and he has compassion for them. I mean, think about our world today. I mean, and think about the reaction to the brokenness of our world today. Typically, if you're ever on social media and, and, you, and when, when brokenness of the world is, is laid out, it's usually not compassion that you see, right? It's, it's frustration. It's condemnation. It's, it's mockery. It's, it's sadness for ourselves, how it impacts us. But when Jesus sees the broken world, he saw their pain and he's moved to compassion. Now, according to the text here, what was going on in the crowd that shook Jesus to the core like that? Look what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, verse 38, because they were harassed and helpless. That phrase, they're harassed and helpless, it, it literally means this. It's, a, it's the same word you would use for somebody who is bloodied and beat up on the battlefield face first in the mud. That's harassed and helpless. If you've ever been to a NICU, a neonatal intensive care unit, our first daughter, McKinley, she was born premature, so, so we had to stay at Aurelia for a little bit. And, and while you were there, maybe, I mean, I would see these babies hooked up to the, all these machines and they're just clinging to life. That, that's harassed. The text also says, not just harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so now, now imagine those newborns who, who don't have the machines, who don't have the doctors and nurses caring for them, just, just thrown out onto the street. That's the picture here of what Jesus sees as he sees the crowds. Harassed and helpless, like, like sheep without a shepherd, like, like no one to lead them, no one to care for them. And, and listen, in Jesus' time, there were supposed to be shepherds, the, the religious leaders, but, but they didn't care for the sheep. Rather than offering hope and healing, they just beat them up with religion. And, and so the people are left wore out, desperate, alone, hopeless. It's no wonder they flock to Jesus. I mean, how refreshing it would be to hear Jesus say, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Listen, the world around us is like sheep without a shepherd. 
driven hard by false shepherds, for sure. False shepherds of our world that are saying, hey, hey, you just need to work harder. You need to earn more. You need to hoard more to be happy. You, you need to seek more pleasure. You need to, to have more entertainment. You need to scroll through more things. That'll fulfill you. you there's a, this constant drumbeat of you're not good enough. You'll never measure up. This false hope from so many false shepherds, right? Kids being sold this, this lie of a sexual ideology saying this is your hope or, or others being told put your hope in this political movement. That'll bring hope for you and people are harassed and helpless without shepherds. And so Jesus looks out at this crowd. You start to understand his deep gut-wrenching compassion. People lying face down, bloodied up on the battlefield and no one's willing to lead them out of their misery. No one's willing to step in and say, listen, there's a better way. Now, we could end the sermon right here, and I could call the worship team up, and, and we could start worshiping. Why? Because we see such a, a good and gracious God who has a compassion for our pain and our suffering, and that it would move him, and that should bring us to this place of worship. That God sees you this morning. He sees your need. He brings hope and healing. But listen, the story doesn't end there. Do you know that every other time the same word, this, this word for compassion was used, where Jesus was moved to that deep level of compassion, he did something about it every single time. He didn't just feel bad, right? Every time he did something about it. Except this time's a little different. Look what he does. He, he sees the crowds has compassion for them. So what do we expect? We expect Jesus is going to step in in that moment and, and run into the crowd and say, everybody, I know you're harassed and helpless, but good news, the chief shepherd is here. And he started healing people and loving on people, but that's not what he does. Look at verse 37. It says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He, he's saying there's, there's a lot of need out there. This, this verse is Jesus saying to us, hey, see the need. Stop yelling at the darkness and start seeing the brokenness and the need in our world. There's so much need. He says the harvest is plentiful. So when you see the brokenness of our world, do you, do you see like Jesus sees? We go, wow, this is just evidence that the harvest is so plentiful. But then he says this, but the labors are, are few. And he says this. Here's his action now. Here's where he's going to do something about it. Here's, here's what he says. He says, here's what I want you to do. Verse 38. It says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, every other time you see this word used for compassion, Jesus personally does something about it. But this time, he sees the crowds that didn't have shepherds, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, here's what we're going to do. He invites them into the mission. He says, I want you to get on your knees. I, I, I want you to pray that God would raise up people so they could go do something about this. I mean, Jesus has shown he has all the power and authority, and now he says this, the way people are going to experience this chain-breaking, storm-calming, dead-raising power is they're going to experience me through you. So he says this, when, when we, listen, when we as the church, when we see need and suffering and sin and death, we don't just pray, God, I hope they meet Jesus. We pray, God, let them meet Jesus through me. And Jesus doesn't just say pray. He says pray earnestly. That, that word there could be translated as beg 
God. It's the same word you would use for struggles and trials you have in your life, how you pray for those things, how you beg God, earnestly seek help. Jesus saying, you see the broken world out there? Beg God with that same intensity for him to bring hope and life to those around you. See, the biggest danger for us as a church is we, we go from being Harvest Muskoka and we go to just being Huddle Up Muskoka, Hang Out Muskoka, Hide Out Muskoka. And we've seen God do some amazing things in our church where, where we went from a handful of people meeting in a, in a home and moving to the library of E.K. Greer for a Bible study, and now we're rolling out three churches in three communities. And listen, it's been exciting to see people come to know Jesus, people who were harassed and helpless, and they're finding hope and healing. But here's my fear. My fear is that we get comfortable. And we begin to change our focus to how do we hold this thing together? What do we do to make sure this thing doesn't fail? What do we do to make sure we're okay? And listen, Jesus saw that very real danger. He knew our hearts. He knew our tendency. He knew our natural inclination would be that we would become consumers of this good news. Where church could become all about my comfort, my needs, my wants, my well-beings. And we forget that we're actually a training organization. We are a sending mission. We gather here on Sunday to to worship. We gather for teaching, for support, so we can be sent out. And, And the mission is this. Here's the mission God calls us to. It is one by one. It's each of us seeing the need in our community, the need to bring the hope of Jesus. Maybe it's just that one person that you know, that that coworker you work with, that that fellow student you go to school with, that neighbor. And you step into the darkness of their world, a world broken by sin where there's, there's this helplessness, where people are desperate for hope. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. This is for us. He says, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus calls these guys together. I kind of get the picture like a coach calling a team and saying, hey, hey, I got something important to tell you. I want to tell you the game plan. He grabs them. He's like, it's go time. We're we're going after this. It's time for you to go to be sent out into the crowds. And and notice from verse 1 how it's the same language used in verse 35 and 35. Sorry. Where he's saying, "You're, you're now going to be sent out to heal every affliction and every disease. In verse 1, he calls them disciples. Look at verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles. Even their title changes. Apostle. Disciple is someone who's just learning. An apostle isn't, isn't just someone who's following or learning, but an apostle is someone who's sent out on mission. And he doesn't just send them out, he gives them authority. Does you now represent the authority of the king and the spirit fills you and empowers you so you have the authority of Jesus who has the, the power to drive out darkness. Listen, I'm not saying that we're super powerful because we're not. But the words of the gospel coming out of your mouth? Do you believe those words have power to heal the world? To change hearts? I mean, I just love it. You see the list of people he chose, and you go through this list, and you see who these people were. I mean, they were a bunch of messed up, inexperienced, underqualified sinners and nobodies. It was a weird mix of people. They weren't that talented. They, they, they weren't spiritual experts. They, they didn't go to theological schools. They, they didn't have a lot of experience, but they had the greatest teacher. And for us, we have something even better, not just Christ teaching us through his word, but filling us with his spirit, not, not just with us, now in us, and so that you and I, you, you're the Johns and the Peters of this generation for this community. 
for this country, for our world. You're the Andrew, you're the Simon, you're the James. As the worst team comes up and we end off this morning, you and I are being, Jesus says, sent out. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. That, that word there, send out, it's, it's a phrase that's used in other places in the New Testament to talk about when Jesus would cast out demons. It's a violent word. It's not a, it's not a gentle word. It's not a pray that the Lord would encourage some laborers. No, no, it's, it's that they would be flung out, that we'd be chucked out of here into our communities. So if we're actually going to apply this verse today to, to be the people that Jesus calls us to be, listen, we're going to need to be praying, Lord, change my heart. And God's the only one who can do that. So what are we praying? The, the application is this. Will we be able to pray, God, would you make me more like Jesus? This world is dying to know who God is, to know the hope of the gospel, the joy of salvation, the life redemption that's found in Jesus. You just look at our culture, you see all the brokenness, all the division, all the suffering. You see the lostness of people, people seeking everywhere for hope, like sheep without a shepherd, bloodied and battered by the lies of our age, and the world is dying to know this love of Jesus. And the Savior's looking at us, the church, and he's saying, would you be willing to go? Would you have the courage today to pray this dangerous prayer that says, God, make me more like Jesus? I say it's dangerous because it's this. It's us begging God, earnestly praying, God, give me compassion. Display your power through me. I believe, Lord Jesus, you have power, unlimited power and authority. Would you display that through me? And God, don't just let me cruise through life. Instead, when I see things that break your heart, God, I pray they would break my heart too. And you'd raise me up to do something about what breaks my heart. Listen, there are all kinds of needs in our community, and God is saying to each one of us, you're the one. You're the answer to that prayer. Pray the Lord the harvest sends out harvest. You're that answer. So will you pray that prayer with me? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer and worship? With your um, heads bowed and your eyes closed as as we get ready to to sing, we're going to sing the song we sang right before the sermon. Why? Because it's a song that reminds us of the power and the authority of Christ. That he's already won this battle over suffering and sin. And, and so we go with that power and that hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that you would change us as only you can. As we see the brokenness of our world, we know that it's because they're dying to know who you are. And so I pray that you would make us more like Jesus. We know there's no better way, there's no other way that that we'd rather spend our lives. And so, Father, I I I pray that for myself, that I'd stop being apathetic about what broke your heart. And I pray that you'd raise up so many in this room to do what you asked us to do, which is to beg for laborers for the harvest, and that that we would answer that call, that we would say, I want to be the answer to that prayer. We love you, Jesus. You are worthy of our lives being on mission. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.